perfect way, Lord Jesus, in this house, in our hearts, in our lives, Lord. You are molding us and shaping us, Jesus, into what not only you want us to be, but what you need us to be in this hour, in this day. And Lord, we just ask you to bless each one that is here, and we want to bless your heart, God. We want to flow with you today so that your will can be accomplished. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and that you are God all the time. Praise God. You reign and you hold us well, and we thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Let's worship together. All throughout my history, Faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms make way for spring. In every season, from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness. Yeah. 
Break every stronghold, 
praise will be continually upon my lips. Praise God. It feels good in the house of the Lord today. Before you're seated, we want to go before the Lord in prayer for a couple of things that are getting ready to happen. We want you to continue to pray for Jim Schmidt. He's a member of this church. He's been longing to get to church, and physically he's unable to. We want to continue to pray for him. We have a request this morning for uh, Chad. This is Alicia Miller's boss who is in an induced coma right now and has some young children and a wife and just needs a touch from the Lord. Amen. And then we want to pray for Isaac today. He's getting ready to uh, go to Texas for the service. And we want the Lord to protect him and strengthen him and be with him and use him for his kingdom. Praise God. So if you believe in Jesus, let's call on him right now. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. Lord, we bring these needs before you. I'm asking you right now to touch Jim. Lord, you see his heart's desire to be in the house of God. Lord, and be free from these health issues. I'm asking you for a divine healing from the great physician, God. Do your work, O oh Lord, I pray right now in your name. Lord Jesus, I pray for Chad. You see the faith of this co-worker. I'm asking you, Lord, to raise him up and touch him. I'm asking you to provide the miracle that's at need. Lord God, I'm asking you to step into the hospital room even now and let the divine touch of the master reach down and saturate and consume him. Not only physically, God, but spiritually. Let the angels be released in that hospital room even now and let them go beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's an answer to prayer. Lord, I pray for Isaac. God, I'm asking you to keep your hand upon him. I thank you, Lord, for him allowing to serve this country. And I'm asking you, Lord, for divine protection divine strength, divine anointing. Go before him, be around him, let the angels that can't round about, them that fear you can't round about him and be mobilized for your kingdom. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. Would you now seal this prayer with a worship from the bottom of your heart, shouting to God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah! 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 Bless the Lord! Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said that it's going to the house of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. We welcome all of our guests here today. We pray that you would find Jesus in a very personal way. Praise God. And uh, we are in the midst of the preparation of God for our church. And as my wife said at the beginning, if you've been here now since 10.15 or 10.30, you're just one of us, so it's for you today as well. Praise God. And uh, two weeks ago, the Lord laid on our hearts to preach about surrender, and we cast our cares and our sins and our shortcomings. We balled it up on paper and threw it up here on the platform, and we stomped on it a little bit. We prayed over it. We released it. Then last week, he taught us a little bit about submission, submitting to one another. And uh, I didn't even get to it, but the Bible says submit to God. Then you can resist the devil. And when we're in submission, the devil has no power. 
And today we're going to go into the third thing. Now, I, I wish I could tell you that God has given me eight topics to preach and when to preach them and line them all up for me, but he hasn't. Um, but what he has done, in, which is unusual for me in these last few weeks, is I'll usually know by about Monday afternoon the direction God is leading us. And uh, so thankfully he's given me all week to think about what he's asking me to do instead of one of those Saturday night deals. But uh, I believe that God is in prep mode for us. And as I've shared with you before, I believe that the graduation from our preparation is going to happen on September 12th when Pastor Suber is going to be with us. And you don't want to miss either one of those services. Block that day out and uh, come and celebrate our anniversary with us. September 12, 1992, 29 years this year. It's going to be amazing. But no, Jonathan Sewer is going to be with us in the 1030. He has asked, we wanted to do what we call a soaking service where God just performs miracle signs, wonders, healings, all kinds of things. And uh, he asked us to set it up the way that we've set it up because he believes that Sunday morning he will lay the foundation, uh, a prophetic foundation in this church that will culminate in our 5.30 in the evening service on that Sunday. Uh, we don't normally have a Sunday service. Now, some of you probably maybe have never had a Sunday evening service. I grew up on Sunday evening services. We had church on Sunday at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and 8 p.m. And still made it to school in the morning. So it can be done. But we're going to have that at 5.30. You don't want to miss it. You want to bring somebody with you, somebody that you know needs God because he's going to be here in the microwave. And uh, I've also shared with you that I believe that Sunday is the kickoff of where God is leading us. And we're going to have a better picture after that Sunday of what God is doing for Spirit of Grace Church. We're in the preparation moment. And can I just tell you, some of us are wanting to get into the battle before we get into the preparation. And if you go to battle before you're prepped for it, you're going to be and part of the reason why many Christians struggle in their walk with God is because they haven't allowed a season of preparation. They've just tried to jump right in. And they're learning on the fly. And that just doesn't work. And so, uh, the last several Sundays and the Sundays leading up to uh, September, I believe God is trying to prepare us. And the best, the best, the example that I can use is boot camp, where the, the sergeants will come in and they'll try to tear down the, the individual to the very core and then build them back up. In fact, I asked the Marine this week if that's what they did. He said, yeah, you just tear them down until they're nothing, and then they build them back up into what they want that soldier to be. And that's what God is doing. He's tearing down or he's taking away the things we said two weeks ago that the sin and the weight that easily besets us, he's taking that away and he's putting back into us the things that we need to be his soldier, to be his servant. And so God is doing a great thing. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read two passages of Scripture to start with, and then I'm going to go into a third passage later in my message. Um, but Luke chapter 9, I want to read just one passage of Scripture out of Luke chapter 9, and then we're going to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, just a reminder to all of our leaders, if we can see you in the office after 
service just for a couple of minutes. Luke chapter 9, verse number 62. Jesus is talking here. Everybody say, Jesus is talking. Jesus. So this isn't me. This is Jesus. And he says this. No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Ouch. That's Jesus. Don't get upset with me. Get upset with him. Not no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Now, just before we turn the page, because I don't want people to freak out, this is not a statement of condemnation. The word fit there doesn't mean that you don't belong. The word fit, that doesn't mean that you're kicked out of heaven if you look back. Here's what it means. It means you're not useful. You're not useful for the kingdom. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, this is where we started a couple of weeks ago. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to, with the help of the Lord, speak on this topic today. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? And uh, we, over the last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with some things that sometimes aren't real comfortable. I mean, it was exciting to be able to cast our need at him, but we were letting go of some things. And sometimes that's not very easy. And then last week, we talked about submission and submitting one to another. And sometimes that's not easy because we think we're right. Right? And uh, I, I know it's quiet in here right now. <laughs> but uh, this third Sunday of preparation, God is asking you and I a question. What are you looking at? Because there is a power in where you're looking. There's an old saying that says, you're going to go where you're looking, hopefully. And, and, and where your eyes are set is the direction that you're going to choose. And so Jesus says it in this passage that we read, any man that starts working behind a plow, looking back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. Can I just tell you that even in the olden days when they did the plowing with a plow and an ox, and now we've got the big tractors and trailers and all those kinds of things that do it, but even still, think about when you're driving your car, you will always end up where you're looking. If you don't believe me, go drive down the freeway, make sure there's no cars around, and just stare out your side window and see where your car ends up. Because there's a high likelihood that you're not going to stay in the lane that you originated in. You're going to veer to the right or to the left wherever your eyes are averted. Because we always go where we're looking at. 
And can I just share with you what I believe God is trying to say to us as individuals and as a church. Some of us are looking in the wrong lane. And he's wanting to step into this place today and readjust what we're looking at. Not because we have slipped into sin, not because we have lost out with God, not because we have walked away from the kingdom of God, but for what God is desiring us to do and where he is desiring us to walk, our eyes have to be in the right lane so that we don't veer to the right or we don't veer to the left, but that we stay on the path that he has chosen. Let me just even take an analogy a little bit further, and I know all analogies break down, but there are things called three, four, five-lane highways. It's the same road, but a different lane. And here's the thing. God has different cars on the road, and those cars are in a specific lane. And God is giving direction to those vehicles. And so while this church is on the same road as we are, they may not be in the same lane that we're supposed to be in. And we may be traveling this road together. And we get a little bit jealous because that road, that lane is going a little bit faster. We got a bunch of slow pokes in front of us. And we get hesitant. And we get frustrated. And we get uh, uh, anxious about, and, and what we're saying really is, I'm watching these cars pass me by. And so as I'm watching these cars pass me by, immediately I'm starting to look in my rearview mirror because I'm looking for a way to get into that lane so I can go a little bit faster. The problem is, God may not have chosen that lane for us. And so we're looking in the wrong spot. And we start comparing ourselves to other churches and to other Christians and to other saints of God that are living for him. Listen, I read a statement this week and I thought it was awesome. Don't let your first chapter be equivalent to the next person's 20th chapter. Listen, the story that God is writing in your life is at a different pace. Is that a different state of, of being than somebody else's? It doesn't make you less. It doesn't make you more. In fact, I would say this. If you're in chapter 1, it means, you, and I'm in chapter 20, you have the opportunity to make a whole lot less mistakes than I did in chapters 2 through 19. But we're in this lane, and God is trying to take us and say, stop looking to that Stop looking to that. Can I tell you that there are too many people looking in too many places? That they have literally, spiritually gone cross-eyed. And they can't tell straight from crooked anymore. And so all of a sudden there's a curve in the road and they can't see it because they're looking in a different lane. And all of a sudden... They're wondering why they're sitting on the side of the road crashed. It's because you took your eyes off of the same road. There's really nothing better than that lane to this lane. It's usually paved quite the same. A lot of times it looks the same. But God has chosen us for this lane. 
And the thing is, is in this lane, he's going to make it wide open or he's going to put something in front of us to slow us down. Not to hinder us, but so that we arrive at the time that he wants us to arrive. Can I just tell you over the last couple of weeks, if this is what we've been looking for, this isn't what God has for us. This is the prep moment. God is preparing us for something. And we can't rush ahead. And we can't push ahead. And we can't just change lanes in order to get there quicker. Because God has a specific time, plan, and purpose for every local assembly that's listening to his voice. When you think about it, our eyesight dictates all of our other senses. Now, I know that there are people that don't have the use of their eyes, and they learn how to operate by touch or by hearing or by smell. The other senses become more active than their sight. But in all of those situations, they are having to be told what they're touching in order to learn what they're touching. Or they have to be told that they're smelling because they haven't seen what a loaf of bread looks like. Did you understand what I'm saying? But those of us have, have eyes to see. When we reach out and touch something, we may not. I could have somebody here that doesn't have eyesight, and I could hold a two-by-four, or I could hold a Bible, and I could say, touch it. And they won't really know the difference until they handle it. But if they just put their finger on it, it could be a hardcover book or it could be a piece of wood. It all depends on what they're seeing. When I see it and I touch a piece of wood, I know I'm touching wood. When I'm touching the word of God, I know I'm touching the word of God. Because my eyes have seen my eyes have experienced. My eyes have regulated to the rest of my body, to my sense of touch. And, and, and so I realize and recognize what I'm touching. Can I tell you that the reason why some of us don't recognize when God is touching you is because you haven't been looking at the right thing. When that job opportunity comes or that job opportunity is turned down, we get struggled, we fight because it didn't seem to work out the way we thought it should work out. Could it be that you're just not seeing what you're touching and God had something better in mind? God had something more profound in mind? Can I just tell you that our eyesight dictates to the rest of our senses? How do I know this? Go drive in a strange city without GPS. <laughs> And I will give you a street sign and a number. And the vast majority of us, when we get close, will do what? Turn down the radio so that we can see the street sign. <laughs> and by your laughter, I know I just said the truth. You think about it. You're looking for something, and you're hearing something else, and because we can't do two things at once, we turn down the radio so that we can look for the street sign. Can I just tell you that some of us are listening to the wrong thing because our eyes have been attuned to the wrong thing because whatever we are looking at is what we're going to hear. And what's ended up happening is we have looked on a horizontal level 
and the music has been turned up in that realm, in that dimension, and we have been operating by that. And God is saying, I need you to look somewhere else. And because I need you to look somewhere else that you may not have ever walked before, I need you to turn the radio down. I need your attention. Can I tell you, let me even put it even to, to, to more realistic terms. How many have ever had a mother or a wife look at you and go like this? Huh? What is that motion saying? Eyes on me. I'm getting ready to say something that you have got to hear. And if your eyes are not looking at me, you are not going to hear what I'm going to say. Listen, Jesus is standing on the balcony of heaven today, and he's looking down at us, and he's going, I've got something to tell you. I've got something to release in you. I've got something to give you. But you won't receive it if you're not looking. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? I find it interesting in the two passages that I shared today. Go back, if you would, Elena, to Luke chapter 9, verse 6, 62. Jesus says, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. That word looking is blepo in the Greek. B-L-E-P-O. And it simply means the shifting of your gaze from front to behind. So it's literally turning your head. It immediately brought back an Old Testament story. Those of you that don't know that Old Testament story, let me just share it with you just for a second. God is getting ready to punish Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy it with fire. And Abraham cries out to God, just save Lot and his family. And God has enough mercy and grace to send some angels to Sodom and Gomorrah and to begin to lead Lot and his wife and his kids out of Sodom and Gomorrah before God brings judgment. And the Bible says as they were walking, the Lot's wife looked back. And when she looked back, she immediately turned to a pillar of salt. And I, that, if that wasn't enough, if you read again in, I believe it's in uh, earlier, I think it's Luke 19, but if there's one verse, and I can't remember the number, but it says this, remember Lot's wife. Because Jesus is in a discourse talking to the disciples, this is what's going to happen in the last day. One's going to be in the field and one's going to be taken. One's going to be left at the grinder. One's going to be taken. One's going to, or two are going to be one's going to be taken. One's going to be left. And he's saying, remember Lot's wife. In other words, what are you looking at? Stop looking at the things that are behind you and start focusing on that, which is correct. Look at me. But we physically do that. Now listen. Lest you think it's just the negative stuff in your past. It's the positive stuff as well. I can get so excited 
about all that God has done for me. I can't even remember it all. I can't count it all. And if I spent any time looking back, I'd see some of it. But what God is saying is I become useless in the kingdom of God if I spend my time looking at that which he has done. Can I just tell you that which he has done is done. But that which he is getting ready to do requires an adjustment of my eyesight. It needs to move from that which is behind to that which is in front. Paul said it this way. I press toward the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. I look ahead. I don't look at what's behind me, but I look forward. My eyes are glued in. I'm looking at where he's taking me. I'm looking at where he's going. Where are you looking? Or what are you looking at? So then go over to the Hebrews passage. So that's what that word looking means. The word looking is blepo. It's the physical eyes turning around and looking. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus. That's not blepo. It's a different Greek word. And this Greek word is, I don't know how to say it. I think it's aphareo. A-P-H-A-R-A-O, that's what it is. And this is what it means. It means to take your eyes off of one thing and put it on something else. We talked about the last two weeks, casting away the sin and the weight that besets us. And let us run with patience. Let us be submissive to one another. And this is the Bible. This is the looking unto Jesus. By taking our eyes off of these things and putting them on Jesus. And when you put your eyes on Jesus, because he's the author and the finisher of your faith, you are only here today because of Jesus. I am only here today because Jesus initiated a seed of faith in me that began to grow. And I began to follow after him. And I began to look for him. Can I just tell you, as long as we are looking at Jesus, it doesn't matter what happens all around us. If we're looking at Jesus, he's the author. He's also the finisher. He's going to get us from point A to point B. And he's going to take us the way he wants to take us. Now I want to share one last passage of scripture with you. This morning, because as I was sitting in my office this morning, God began began to sound Canadian there began began to give me some revelation. Genesis chapter three. How many know what the first sin was? All y'all are chicken. Raise your hand with the wrong answer. Can I just tell you that the original sin was not disobedience. The original sin wasn't eating the wrong fruit. The original sin was looking at the wrong thing. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, have God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, I need you to notice this part. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We can do it. 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. What is she looking at? It's the first sin, is that she looked in the wrong spot. And when you look at, when you eat your oven, your eyes will be open, and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And notice verse number six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave unto her husband also, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, they made themselves aprons. And it goes on to say he was ashamed. Adam told God he was ashamed because he saw his nakedness. Here's what I believe the Lord began to, to speak to me. How many have heard this passage in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the and the pride of life. What we look at dictates where we go. And what we look at dictates what we become. And here's the thing that I notice. Here's what God kind of it's jumped off the page at me. Verse number six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good. Do you want to know what that lets me know? She hadn't been looking at that tree. She was comfortable looking at all the other trees that God gave her. But she wasn't looking at the one that he didn't want her to have. And when the, the serpent, when the devil began to communicate with her, he got her to look at that which she had not seen yet. And when she saw that it was good for food and that it was of a pleasant nature and that it would make her wise, then she began to eat. Can I just tell you, there's some of us that haven't learned how to look at all of the things that God has given us. We've looked at the one thing that we don't have. Our eyes get focused on it. Laser focused on that which we don't have yet. I don't have a nice home yet. I don't have a nice car yet. I don't have a good job yet. I don't have a good spouse yet. I don't have good kids yet. I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't, and, and I'm looking around and I'm seeing this person has this and that person has this. And this has this and this has that. And, and I want this and I want that. And all of a sudden our eyesight has gone from this to this. And when it gets down to this level, it eventually will go to this level. And then you can't see anything that God is doing. And all of a sudden you're down here. And you're, woe is me, poor me. I can't have this and God's not doing this. And he's blessing that person and not me. Why? Because you're not looking in the right spot. The psalmist said it this way. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be lifted up, and the King of glory shall come in. 
You see, here's the thing. When you're looking up, you can't see the junk. Now, I have gotten comfortable being a speaker. But when I was first learning to speak in public, we were trained not to look people in the eye. We were trained to look right above their heads. Just right above. And the reason was, was because we didn't get so connected to the person that was looking back at us. But here's what I have learned is part of the reason why we were trained to look above is because it's just above us where God wants to operate. Because God never brings anybody down. He only brings people up. And so the reason why he's above is not because heaven is way up there and God's way up there, but his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. He's constantly trying to pull us up. He's constantly trying to encourage us. He's constantly trying to strengthen us. But our eyes have to go to him. Now listen, all through scripture, the concept of looking preceded a miracle. First Kings chapter 19, I think it's first Kings, maybe second Kings. Whatever, okay, it's 19. You can look it up for it. It's got to be first case because it's Elijah, not Elijah. Elijah had just won the battle on Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal. And he said, okay, you guys do your thing. And if Baal answers by fire, then he's God. And if my God answers by fire, then he's God. And he's up on this mountain. And the prophets of Baal do all kinds of things and crazy things and nothing happens. And so Elijah gets a little bit cocky. And he says, okay, I want you to dig a moat around my altar, and I want you to dump a bunch of water on it, and I want you to soak it through, and when I pray, God will answer by fire, he'll accept my sacrifice, and he'll dry up all the water as well. And what happens? God comes through, and fire comes down. And all of a sudden, Elijah, Elijah uses that opportunity to take care of all the false prophets. You read it in 1 Kings chapter 18. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, poor little Elijah is sitting under a tree, sucking his thumb because he thinks he's all alone and nobody else loves God. One of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament and I teach a whole message off of 1 Kings 19 about depression. That's not what I'm talking about right now. But here's what I'm talking about. He came to the conclusion that he was the only one that was serving God. And what does God do? He says, come here, Elijah. I want you to see. I want you to look. And when Elijah looked... What began to, he began to realize that there were still thousands of people that had not bowed to Baal. Peter and John going into the temple at the hour of prayer, gate beautiful, Acts chapter 3. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. What do they say just before he says that? Look on us. The, the poor man had his eyes downcast. He had been for years looking at the wrong thing. He had been looking at getting a few alms to get by. He had been looking at just a few little things 
and walked. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping about stood and worshipped. I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't looked on them, but they didn't say it accidentally. So I was like, okay, God, how does what, you gotta give me something to get that? Sounds good. Let's look unto Jesus. But what does that really mean? How do I do that, God? Here's what he began to share with me. Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus, who was going to become Paul, and one of the greatest writers of New Testament, one of the greatest apostles of all time. The Bible says, as he was walking, a bright light shone down on him. And what happened? He was blinded. He cries out, who art thou, Lord? The response is, I am Jesus, who thou persecutest. Now, I want you to go into the town. I want you to find Ananias. He's going to pray over you, and he's going to, you're going to receive your sight back, and you're going to receive the Holy Ghost, and you're going to become my servant. That was the greatest conversion experience in the history of man, is, is Acts chapter 9, and, and, and at least the most dramatic conversion. I mean, you shouldn't say the best, but the most dramatic, kind of bright light shining from heaven and driving into his ground and, and taking away his eyesight. And here's what I felt like the Lord whispered into my spirit. I need to take away the physical eyesight of my people. I said, well, what does that mean? He said it this way. For you walk by faith and not by sight. And I believe the Lord gave me a definition of faith that I've never thought about before. You know, we, we try to de define faith. And we always use Hebrews 11. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That sounds cool. But it's hard to explain. So I began to ask God this morning, ah, what does it mean? How, how do I? He said this to me, and I believe it was from the Lord. He said, when you close your physical eyes and open your spiritual eyes, you start walking by faith. Faith is just simply a change in perspective. Faith means you stop looking horizontally and you start looking vertically. Faith means you start seeing him and stop seeing others. Can, can I just tell you something? If we looked at him more, we would see others through his eyes more. If we looked at him more, we would have compassion on others like he has compassion. If we looked at our eyes on him and fixed our eyes on him and just set them on cruise control, I'm going to look at you and nobody but you. Can I just tell you the waves become meaningless? The storms and the winds become meaningless because my eyes are on the one that walks on water. My eyes are on the one that calms every storm. My eyes are on the one that fixes every situation. My eyes are on the one that settles and calms all disease and sickness 
and heartache and sorrow, if my eyes just stay on him, all of the other things will be in, in order and all the other things will be taken care of. If I could just look at him. Can I tell you what the psalmist said? The psalmist said this, my heart is fixed on you. Can I just tell you, your heart cannot be fixed before your eyes are fixed. I'm not talking now about your natural eyes. I'm talking about your faith eyes. Your heart cannot be fixed on him until you're looking at him. Pastor, what does that mean? What's God really trying to do? When we surrender to him, when we submit to one another, we begin to raise the elevation of our eyesight. Because I can't look down on you if I'm submitted to you. I can only look at him. And I can't look up to you if my eyes are on you. Because you can look up to people, I've looked up to people, and we all have examples in our lives and, and heroes that we have in our lives. But can I tell you, every hero that you have in life is also a human and makes mistakes and has committed sin, has lost their temper. But if our eyes are on Jesus, Pastor, I can't seem to get rid of this weight, this heaviness. I just can't seem to get away from the sin in my life. I, I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying. Are you doing what the scripture said? Are you looking at him or are you looking at what you're struggling with? Because here's what's happening. And let me just step into a word of the prophetic right now. Some of you are struggling because you're wrestling the thing that's causing you heartache. And God doesn't want you wrestling with that. He wants you to submit to him and he'll wrestle that. I'm wrestling my kids. Because I want my kids to turn out. I'm wrestling my kids because I don't want them to be lost. Hey, that's a good endeavor. That's a good prayer. That's a good hope. You're not designed to wrestle that. You're designed to take them into the prayer room and say, Jesus, these are your kids. I'm looking to you. You handle it. Some of us are fighting battles with spouses and friends that we're not supposed to be battling because we're fighting things that we're not designed to fight. We're designed to look to him and let him deal with all of this stuff. Can I just tell you what God is trying to do at Spirit of Grace Church? He's trying to peel back all of the things so that he can have the freedom to do what he wants to do and be what he wants to be for each one of us individually and as a body. There's so many things in here that we don't like to hear. I wish this was a Dr. Seuss book and the ending was always good. 
read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See why there was some sickness and disease and feebleness and weakness of spirit. And if you read what Paul wrote, he said it was because there was divisions among you. Can I just tell you, the only way you get divided is if you take your eye off the commander. <clears throat> Can I tell you what's happened in America? The reason why America is so divided is because America as a whole has taken their eye off of the commander. I asked this former Marine this week what the stance was for boot camp when he stood at attention. He said he would stand straight as an arrow and he would look straight ahead. And it didn't matter what the sergeant was hollering. It didn't matter what was going on around him. He kept his eyes fixed on something in front of him. And the reason why he did that was because everything that was going on around him was preparing him so when he got to the place where he was looking, he was prepared for it as much as possible. Listen, nobody's ever prepared for everything. When, when God blows up in this place, we're not going to be totally prepared, but we're going to be a whole lot further prepared because of what we're doing over these last few weeks than if we just did it. So what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. You need to answer this question for yourself. What have I been looking at? I'll take my glasses off so I can't see anybody. So when I ask these questions, I'm not thinking of anybody. But have you gotten more consumed with your job than you have with the Lord? Because you have forgotten that God's the one that gave you the job in the first place. Have you gotten so consumed looking at your children? I know that even sounds a little bit different. Well, God gave me my children. I've got to, I've got to be there for my children. Yes, you do. But where are you looking to take care of them? Jesus, before he said, remembers Lot's wife, he said, let the buried or the dead bury their dead. The man asked to go say goodbye to his family before he followed him. He said, then you're not ready to follow me. Listen, as much as I love this young man and that young man back there, I have a responsibility to look above their heads into the eyes of Jesus. Because I have to understand that I can't figure this out for them. I can't do it for them. I can't make them. I can't allow, I can't open their arms to embrace the things. That, all I can do is look to the God that's above them and say, God, you gave them to me. I've got them in your house. I've got them with your body. You've heard, they've heard us pray. They've seen our sacrifice. Now, God, all I can do is let you do the work in them. So what are you looking at? Are you looking at your spouse? Are you looking at your home? Are you looking at, what are you looking at? You see, all these things, none of them are bad. None of them are sinful. None of them will cause you to go into hell. But all of them 
will make you unfit for the kingdom if you're concentrating on them. So how do I look to him? Can I just tell you the only way that I know how to do this? Is I stop praying with my head down. Body language says a lot. I invite you to stand. Body language says a lot. So there's a lot of times when I pray with somebody, especially at an altar where God is working on them, if they're like this, here's what it's telling me. They're not looking in the right spot. Shame and guilt and condemnation have worn them down. Inferiority complex has settled in. They don't recognize their worth to God. They don't recognize the price that he paid for God. I know that there are scriptures that say we should fall prostrate before him with our face on the floor before him. And there's a time for that. But more often than not, the time to do it is to look up. And raise your head in your hands and say, God, I need to see you. Because can I tell you something? There's something that automatically happens when you go from this to this. From this to this. Can I tell you what it is? You have just unlocked your door. Who are you looking at? Are you looking at your shame? Are you looking at your guilt? Are you looking at your faults? Can I just tell you? He's not. So why are you? Tell you what he's looking at. He's looking at himself, lifted up. Bible says, he said this, for if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Listen, it's the reason why the cross wasn't laid down. It was a reason why the cross stood up and it says that he hung on a cross because you can't get to the cross without raising your head. When you raise your head, you recognize the value about who you are. He loved you so much that he hung on a cross for you. He died for you. So why are you looking around? Get your eyes off of the horizontal and get your eyes on Calvary. Because when you get your eyes on him, he finishes your faith. <laughs> What does that mean? He's the author and the finisher. We understand the author. He's the one that originates it. How does he finish it? What is faith? The readjustment of our eyesight. When we look unto him, he finishes our faith. He readjusts our sight and he lets us begin to see things that we've never seen before and experience things we've never experienced before and recognize opportunities that we've never recognized before. And let me just tell you, there are some people in this house 
that have already started lifting their heads. And because they've started lifting their heads, God has thrown opportunity after opportunity in front of them to minister to somebody else. And can I just tell you, God's not wanting to do it in a drizzle. He's wanting to do it in an outpour. And he's wanting to do it through us. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Do you want him? Look in the right direction. Do you want the power and the presence of God? Look up. In Jesus' name.